Hey pals! Welcome back. It's another beautiful week here at Cold Stuff and Chill. Um, and to start the story, or not story, but the episode, I have a confession to make. Today is St. Patrick's Day, the day that we are recording, and I just needed to give a disclaimer because I went to Sonic and I got the 50% off corn dogs um, for lunch today, and it is it backfired. And so I'm on the struggle bus a little bit. Um, my stomach is doing some things. So just disclaimer, um, if there's any weird pauses in this video, it's because I'm either puking my guts out or having other stomach issues. So just FYI. But Ashley had a great day and a good lunch, so. I had a great day. I had a good lunch. Yeah. And my mom gave me this rock, so I'm having a great time. Ooh, wait, show us the rock. It's just a rock. It is, it, oh. I'm supposed to paint it, but you know, these are like nice. Actually, she gave me a few rocks. Um, she's like, oh, yeah. you know, paint them. Because she does this thing um, every month where she gives us like an advent calendar and it's usually like mm-hmm. a handwritten note with like a little affirmation or something. But then sometimes she puts fun Aww. stuff in there, like there's socks or like gift cards. But she, but this month is rocks to like paint, but they're, mm-hmm. I like them. They're good rocks. Like, look at them. They're That's smooth. such a cute mom thing. It is. It's really she gives cute. you like little monthly gifts. That's adorable. Yeah, and I mean it's kind of I mean it's not a huge cost, but it's like all the handwritten notes, like one a day. Mm-hmm. So I've just been keeping all the notes. They're not in order though. But well, no, that's okay. They don't need to be in order. No, and it's just cute little like have a great day. Like remember you're worth it. Love it. So, but I got these rocks, and you know I like rocks so. We love rocks. <laughs> I love really lamb. Adorable. <laughs> oh boy! Also, other exciting news that's not related to um, my GI tract. I, guys, I'm very excited. I have been for a while wanting to fix my fucking teeth because I was a naughty, naughty girl and I didn't wear my retainer after I got my braces off, and I'm finally getting Invisalign. Now, I guess it's not Invisalign. I'm doing Smile Direct Club. Shout out. Sponsor me, please. Um, us and our couple dozen listeners would love a promo code for some free retainers. So I'm very excited about that. So that it's it's not a bad week overall because I'm getting my teeth fixed. You got rocks and a good meal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's finally not fucking freezing cold as tits outside. So I'm getting my teeth whitened, but that's not as exciting. Yeah. It's still pretty fucking exciting. Yeah. And probably not We're having a self-care moment. I'm just getting my teeth whitened because I have a little baby tooth, and I have to get the rest of my teeth to the color of the baby tooth because right now it's bothering me. And then once that's Mm -hmm. done, I'm good. Hopefully it won't be that expensive. Hell yeah. Treat yourself. Yeah. It's tax season, baby. Well, I mean, (laughs) I did my taxes in January, but Mm. yeah. Oh, one thing that was not so great that I had to do this week, um, I work in an office that deals in permitting, and we had the misfortune and mispleasure of having to deal with a very particular... I don't want to give away fully where I live or what I do for work, just, you know, for, like, you know, keeping above board reasons, but there's a very particular... um, hateful church that is coming to my town to protest 
and I got to deal with them this week and their lawyers, so that was fucking fun. I didn't. I did have to stuff, like, a shit ton of gift cards into envelopes this week, but, you know. Mm. Say la vie, baby. As I said to you so eloquently earlier this week, our lives are a joke and our jobs are the punchline. So <laughs> that's why we do this podcast, I think, to forget that that part of our lives exists. One of these days, one of these days it'll be just our job and mm. we won't have to work. Wouldn't that be something wonderful? All right. So yeah, that's a, a you know gentle nudge to you guys. Pass this <laughs> along to your friends. Um, promote us wherever you want to promote us somewhere so that I can quit my job and Ashley can quit her job. I should also preface if any of my coworkers happen to be listening, I actually really like all of my coworkers. So don't take it personally because you're in that shit show with me and you understand. Yeah. It's, it's customer service though. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Customer service. It doesn't ride. matter how nice of a job or how nice your coworkers are. You're just going to have shit days. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. There was last weekend, so Michael, my husband, and I, we go to Longhorn pretty frequently um, because we're, like, 80, I guess. <laughs> um, anyway, Longhorn is, like, our go-to place to get some steaks. And we were waiting in line patiently, as you do. We had checked in online, as you do, in this year, our Lord and Savior 2022, um, and so we walked in and we were like sitting there for the remaining five minutes, whatever. And as we're sitting there, this fucking old guy walks in with his wife and he goes, how long is the wait? And they're like, it's going to be about an hour. It's very busy. And he looks around the restaurant, starts counting empty tables. Now, mind you, there are quite a few empty tables at this point, but it's not because of, it's a staffing issue. Like there's not enough people waiting on tables. It's not as if like they, we can just go sit in the empty sections. And so he's sitting there counting one, two, three. And he goes to the hostess. So you're telling me there's nine tables open and I have to wait for an hour. And this guy, this like poor 17 year old kid is just sitting there like, uh, yeah, it's going to be an hour. I can put you on the list or you can make it to go order. And this guy just like is fucking pissed. And he's like, so you're telling me because you can't manage to staff your restaurant. I have to wait an hour. I was like, okay, first of all, sir, this is Longhorn Steakhouse. Like, it is not, not that kind of place. Like, take that negative energy, go to Wendy's. No one wants you here. Right. Um, so, yeah, that was that was great. And just, like, shout out to that poor 17-year-old host who was having a really fucking rough night. And then when he walked us over to our table, my husband just turned around and goes to him. That was a guy that, sorry, I'm stuttering over my words. He said, that guy was a real dick to the host, or the host, and the host goes, just, like, silent, like, I can't believe you just said that to me. And then he was like, well, the customer's always right? Question mark. And I was like, oh, sweet baby boy. I work customer service, too. I know you really just want to, like, flip him off, but for all I this mean, story, be nice to customer service people, you guys. I mean, usually if I kind of see that kind of behavior and they're, like, attacking a kid or, like, attacking people who are, like, very clearly slammed, I'll usually go in and say something because I don't care. I'm looking for a fight mm-hmm. any day of the week. And I'll go in and be like, you do realize that this is more than a you issue? It's a, the staffing (laughs) issue isn't their fault. It's because everybody's dead from COVID. Or because people (laughs) don't want to come to work and deal with people like your fucking ass all day. So they won't take these jobs and get paid minimum wage to deal with your bullshit. Right. There's a novel idea. (sighs) 
I just hate yeah. it when people anyway. are rude, rude for no reason. And, like, for, yeah. for takeout food or for to eat out. Over Longhorn Steakhouse. It's and like, like if, my guy. It's like if this were an ER, this would be a different situation. But yeah, you're actively having a heart attack. I get it. You can be upset. But for a Longhorn mm-hmm. Steakhouse for, like, it's good, but it's, like, mediocre compared to yeah. the span of eating experiences. It's mm-hmm. not bad. It's not fantastic it's it's good it's there it's available (laughs) it's consistent and they have free bread yeah and lobster tails Mm -hmm. i love lobster tails although my location has been out of chocolate lava cakes for going on probably five months now and i don't know if they're not bringing them back but i'm very upset i I won't complain to a manager or to a hostess or waiter but I will just, every time, try and order it. And when they tell me that it's not available, I'll be like, oh, okay. That's fine. And then just be really upset about it on the inside. I feel like I've seen it at ours, though. So I don't feel like they're not, they're just not doing it. I feel like yours just isn't ordering it. Mm. I could be wrong, though. Honestly, the worst thing that's ever happened to me. That's why you gotta move. So you I can't just get my get chocolate out of there. cakes. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. Should we get on with the stories for the week? I feel like every time we talk about food, it ends up being an hour-long thing, and maybe we <laughs> all just, we'll just get into the stories, you guys. You don't want to talk hear us talk about food again, I'm sure. Well, because usually I just cut, like, at least half of it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Devin's been doing the editing, so, because I'm trying to work on other things, and... Yeah. <sighs> Which is also uh, why the last episode was so delayed, because guess what, you guys? I'm a little bit of a lazy bitch. (laughs) Sorry. You're not a lazy bitch. Also, I was having some internet issues, too, so that was part of it, but... You're not a lazy bitch, you're just a sad bitch. That's true. It was a little bit of an executive dysfunction week last week, so it just, like, did not get done. Well, And this week, I'm having, like, a really weird gastrointestinal week, um corn dogs aside so like it's just been a a rough rough ride the last couple weeks i don't know what's going on with my body but i turned 30 and everything has just gone downhill well and didn't florence and the machine just launch a new album so it's just like emo it's appropriate oh god (laughs) speaking of emo music i did find one little bright spot in my week so as mentioned last week on the podcast i believe i left it in i stand by and will always stand by the twilight sound soundtrack it is the entire saga soundtrack not just the first movie although the first movies was arguably the best anyway i digress i had a really rough day at work and so i stood in a hot shower and i listened to the twilight soundtrack um for probably about 30 to 40 minutes and it really just you know improved my mood so sad bitch music in a hot shower i guess will do it for me See, just bringing the- back memories of my youth i guess i don't even really re- remember it except for that one song that was on tiktok the was it super massive black hole by muse oh yeah the one where they're playing baseball in the field you i don't think you watched the movies so and i forgot you maybe yeah i mean i forgot about it until it was on tiktok and i was like oh yeah i I Mm kind of remember that vaguely sort of yeah well the whole soundtrack is great so you're really (laughs) limiting yourself by not (laughs) not listening to the rest but that's okay i won't hold it against you i'll just really suggest that you know what? Maybe this week is the week that I'll actually link that playlist down below um, so you guys can join with me. Because I did Instagram. cut out, like, 
all the instrumental ones I took off of my playlist. And then there's like a handful of songs like this fucking sucks that I just removed. So my playlist is called all the sun or like the twilight soundtrack, but only the good ones, which consequently is mostly all of them. Something like that. It's very long and ridiculous. I'll link it this time this week. It'll be linked in the description on YouTube. I don't know about actually no. Our podcast hosting platform is called Anchor. That's how we get all of it distributed elsewhere. And it is run by your own by Spotify. So I can probably very easily link that playlist, you guys. Look at that karma, karmic intervention. I don't know. Fuck it. (laughs) Anyway, now that I just told us, I'm going to get us off a rant and then went on a rant about the Twilight soundtrack. Do you want to start your story? (laughs) Yeah. So, for my story today, going off of Amityville Horror House, I have another story of a family that got lost in the sauce, committed to the bit a little bit too hard, but instead of coming up with some, you know, mild trauma that resulted in a bunch of money, they actually uh, just wound up accidentally killing their child. So, I'm going to talk about the possession of Anne Elizabeth and Elise Michael. Or Michelle. So I feel like a possession story is really fitting given the unholy amount of vomit that has come out of my mouth <laughs> this afternoon. Just very accurate. This really like fits the vibe. On par, yeah. So Annalise Michelle, she was born on September twenty first, nineteen fifty two, in the Bavarian state of Germany to staunch Catholics, Josef Michel and Anna Ferg. Before Annalise's birth, Anna had given birth to another daughter daughter named Martha out of wedlock and had been punished for her indiscretion by being forced to wear a black veil on her wedding day. From the time she was born, Anna saw Annalise, her first legitimate daughter, as sort of the ticket to her salvation. Her mindset was if she could raise, like, these really pious children, really God-fearing children, that she would be absolved of her sins in the eyes of the community, the church, and the big man upstairs. So the pressure on Annalise doubled, especially when Martha, the older sister, died during a surgery in 1956, which Anna, of course, saw as a sign of punishment for her sins. Annalise while being described as a bright, lovely, kind child and young woman, was also devoutly religious. One example of her devotion is that for a while she was sleeping on the cold, bare stone floor to suffer for the sins of homeless drug addicts and other damned souls. Other than the religious trauma, she seemed to be a relatively normal girl, if not a little bit of a nerd and a little bit quiet. That all changed in 1968 when she experienced her first seizure. She lost consciousness and was convulsing, but came to pretty quickly, seemed fine. They woke her up, took her home, she went to bed, and she claimed that... Can I tell you a story that (laughs) just reminded me? (laughs) Okay, so my friend Jessica, my dear friend Jessica, um, on the topic of seizures, so... (laughs) God, I can't believe I'm going to tell you. Okay, so we were having a slumber party at our other friend Erica's house. It was me... Jessica, Erica, I think one of our friends, Megan, maybe another one named Haley. I can't remember who all was there. It definitely was Erica's house, though. And at one point, Jessica is just on the couch and she starts what we now know was seizing what we thought as 12-year-olds was simply 
she, why is she coughing in her sleep? That's weird. And so instead of like alerting a mother or a father figure, we're like, we just need to wake her up. This is really strange. So we took ice packs and just hit her in the face with ice packs <laughs> until she woke up. <laughs> she survived. She had a seizure a few days later, and then her mom took her to the hospital. Um, but yeah, shout out Jessica. <laughs> you weren't possessed. You were just apparently a little bit epileptic. Epileptic. Well, she could have been the next Annalise Mike Michelle. Yeah, like, she could have been the the exorcism. You know. But yeah. So anyway, uh, sorry. No. So Annalise, she didn't have any friends that hit her in the face with ice packs. Uh, so she just went home and took a little nappy nap, and later that night she reported that she woke up and she felt like something was sitting on her chest, preventing her from moving, and it was, like, pinning her to the bed, but she couldn't see anything. The family kind of was like, oh, you know, kids have seizures all the time, (laughs) whatever, until Annalise had a second seizure in August of 1969, when they took her to the family doctor, they're like, hey, she's had a couple seizures, can you take a look into this? So Dr. Vaught who, along with the neurologist Dr. Luthi, diagnosed her with temporal lobe epilepsy, even though they had done some brain scans and reported that she had a relatively normal brain scan. The doctors would go on to prescribe her anticonvulsant medication for her seizures, and this was also around the time that Annalise would start to see and hear demons talking to her, despite the fact that she was taking this medication. So pause. Breaky break. This is entry into Act 2 of the story. But I want to bookmark a couple of things. First, keep in mind, she had a relatively normal brain scan with some minor irregularities, but it didn't definitively corroborate the diagnosis. Secondly, another important plot point to keep in mind, but I don't know about you, but I forget to take medication if it's daily medication. Like, luckily, my medication is like, if I don't take it daily... I just, I'm not going to be able to focus, but like some medications can affect you negatively if you're supposed to be taking it daily and you don't. So back to the medications, one of the effects of not taking the anticonvulsant medication and sometimes of epilepsy or temporal lobe epilepsy itself was psychosis. And it's alleged that even before she started taking the medication that she had experiences with demons and spirits, but you know... That was after everything kind of came through. So who knows what the original story really was. So Annalise would go on to graduate from school. She would attend the University of Würzburg to become a teacher. Or her classmates, they would describe her as very reserved and religious. They were like, she's kind of a weirdo. She blows us off to go pray. All right, that's kind of strange. When actually, girly girl, she was fighting for her life. So, around 1973, Annalise noticed that some of the hallucinations of demons and ghosts would escalate, get worse when she would pray. She reported hearing knocking on her bedroom, which her sisters corroborated, and demons tormenting her, condemning her to hell, telling her, like, what they were going to do to her when she got down there. Her mother reported an incident where Annalise froze and she was glaring at the statue of the Virgin Mary, And her eyes turned jet black, and her hands seemed to turn into thick paws with claws. Just like, okay. Also, you'll see why maybe the mom is not the most uh, reasonable source or believable source. Annalise 
you know, she was going to the doctors a lot because she was having these issues, and she would also report that she had the smell of burnt shit lingering around her, <laughs> which others could smell, Wait, too. I'm going to sidetrack us one more time. Speaking of the smell of shit, another wonderful thing that happened. I just had, like, a weird week in at my office. Um, the sewage backed up. And so our entire basement at work was just flooded with sewage. And basically I've been smelling, like sitting in the smell of human shit for the last, maybe that's why my stomach is so weird because it's just like I'm constantly smelling shit water. I think that's technically like a workplace hazard though. Like you could probably Mm. sue. Well, it's real fucking gross. But anyway... Sorry. I'm just going to keep sidetracking you with my own personal anecdotes through your entire story. <laughs> no, it's good. It's contributing. Oh, geez. Not very helpfully, but, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so Annalise, she was like, it smells like burnt shit in here. And others were like, it smells like burnt shit wherever she goes. Which, I'm not going to lie, like, homegirl probably was just not washing her underwear. Uh, you know, homegirl oh, yeah. just probably was not doing her laundry, was not changing or washing her underwear she was having some other issues she was more worried about so Annalise started to become incredibly depressed and self-destructive until she was diagnosed formally with depression and they that's when she started to be given antipsychotic medication when that didn't really work she was admitted to a psychiatric hospital where she stayed for a while and actually experienced another seizure and Around this time, she was also prescribed a mood stabilizer that really only worsened her condition. Mm. According to Anna, the mother, Dr. Luthi suggested that they find a priest because he thought homegirl was possessed. Dr. Luthi denies this claim, which I would be inclined to believe because they also claim that their elderly family friend, Frau Thea Hein, told them that Annalise was possessed. They went on a fun little girl's pilgrimage together and... Frau Hein told the family that Annalise smelled devish, devilishly bad, refused to drink Ew. holy water from a spring, couldn't walk past a crucifix or look at religious iconography, and, like, when they walked onto church ground or whatever, she said that the ground burned her feet. It was around this point that Joseph and Anna, did, they said, you know what, we're done doing the medical route, we're going to go the spiritual route, Everyone involved in the family had become convinced that Annalise was possessed and that she needed an exorcism, not a doctor. Uh, so upon returning home... I... Huh. This perplexes me because it sounds pretty clearly like she's just struggling with mental illness. But I'm sure there's more, like, weird factoids that you're going to throw out at me that's going to make me change my mind or doubt it a little bit. You also have to remember that this is, so this is very recently post-war Germany. So this is the 60s and the 70s, Mm-mm. but post-war Germany, a very conservative Catholic town. And this is in the Bavarian district, which is like southwestern Germany a little bit. Um, so that was kind of like Hitler's, you know, thing. So mental illness mm. was something that wasn't really talked about, like they it was worse to have mental illness yeah. than it was just to claim possession. Otherwise, they would just, you know, disappear you. Right. Well, and I mean, I think a lot of that from the stigma was still around, like, the war thinking of, like, if you're mentally ill, if there's something wrong, if you're not the perfect genotype mm-hmm. that you're just going to get sent to a camp. So, 
like her she was born in the 50s so that's her parents had lived through that okay so upon upon returning home from the pilgrimage with frau hein her condition steadily worsened and her family they started going around from priest to priest to priest they're like hey we need an exorcism asap and they were just denied because the priests are like you don't need an exorcism you need a doctor go take her to the doctor this is a mental health issue and they're like no 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 it's it's exorcisms issue they eventually found a priest who was willing to take on their case uh, father alt who determined that annalise she didn't look epileptic he's like Mm-mm, not her she's not epileptic uh so it must be possession he started to advocate for her exorcism being approved he started to reach out to other people uh exorcism experts other priests Annalise at this point was she was seeing growling demons everywhere she looked she was praying day and night obsessively she was eating insects like spiders and flies she was lapping up her own urine from the floor she would bugs were gross she would destroy religious items she was like attempting suicide self-harm and she was exhibiting superhuman strength during one incident she threw her sister across the room as if she were a rag doll during another she squeezed an apple with one hand so hard that it exploded and bits just flew everywhere that's actually low-key very <laughs> impressive i don't know why i'm more impressed by the apple bit than i am by her physically like picking up another human and tossing around like a rag doll I mean, if you've had siblings, like, you've definitely tossed them across the room. Yeah. So that that seems more feasible than crushing an apple. I need to go get an apple and just, like, test my own physical strength and see just how hard <laughs> it would be. And, like, is it a Granny Smith apple? Is it a Fuji? I wonder if it was, like, already rotten, though. Ah, I mean, that's a very high possibility. Because I could see it just her squeezing it and it blows up, you know, explodes everywhere. But it was right. rotten apple, yeah. so it was it was an easier goal to attain. Okay, so Father Rodwick, the local exorcism expert, uh, agreed with Father Alt that Annalise was possessed. They got the bishop Joseph Ariosa Stongel to approve an exorcism. But they chose an old-fashioned and brutal rite called the Ritual Romanum of 1614, and they reached out to uh, Father Runs to perform it. So on September 24th, 1975, the Exorcism Avengers, they went out. They're like, you know what? We're going to exorcise this girl. We're going to get her. So they performed the first exorcism rite on Annalise. She would go on to have 67 exorcisms over the span of 10 Mm. months sometimes twice a week and some of the exorcisms were even recorded over 43 cassette tapes which you can find the recordings on youtube they have them on youtube and they're spooky kind of scary but they're also heartbreaking because you can hear growling. there was a point in time and it wasn't this particular case i believe this one was like in spain or something but for some reason of all the different like creepy things the thing that freaks me out the most to watch footage of is exorcisms. <laughs> and I don't know why. I'm not Catholic. I don't even think I'm Christian. Actually, I know that I'm not Christian. But watching exorcisms, like, makes me poop my pants in fear. It's scary. Well, and so these are just audio recordings, but it's, like, her growling and she's, like, She's, like, I am legion. <laughs> but it's, like, it's just, it's sad more than anything to me, I think. 
And I understand, like, a lot of people yeah, well, get really freaked out by exorcisms, even non-Christians, mm-hmm. but... It's spooky, man. Yeah. Um, but, so, Annalise, on these recordings, she can, like I said, be heard growling in a demonic voice. She's channeling six demons that are possessing her, and they figured out that it was Lucifer, uh, Judas Iscariot, Cain, from the Bible, Hitler, uh, the Roman Emperor Nero... And strangely enough, a local excommunicated priest from the 1500s named Valentin Fleischmann. The weird thing about Fleischmann is that she was actually giving very accurate personal details about Fleischmann that not many people knew. But it was also argued that she was religious in a religious town. He was local. These were details Mm -hmm. that she could have, you know, could have been easily available to her. It's not like she picked someone from across the world. Right. Um, also curiously, according to Catholicism, regular dead people can't actually possess live humans. You, you either go to heaven or hell or purgatory or, you know, there's places you can go, but you can't, pos- if you're a human, you can't possess another human. Mm-hmm. So that was, that kind of facts checks five out of the six demons. There were photos taken of her during the exorcisms, which those are incredibly graphic, disturbing. I would not recommend going to look at them and they show evidence of her with black eyes, bruises, she has cuts and scrapes and, you know, ulcers all over her. She looks incredibly emaciated. Would not, do not recommend. So Annalise, she started to claim that the Virgin Mary was visiting her regularly on top of the demons and told her that her purpose on earth was to do a penance for lost souls, which Annalise, she's like, you know what, you're right. And she said that she was going to die to atone for the wayward youth of the day and apostate priests of the modern church. And this just, like, pushed her off the edge of her possession. She stopped eating and drinking. She was suffering starvation and dehydration. Uh, she broke her knees and ruptured her knee ligaments from continuous continuous genuflections, which is when you, like, kneel to pray. And But she would be doing mm. this during the exorcisms. Uh, she had contracted pneumonia, I think, a few times, and this was probably due to her already weakened state. The continuous exorcisms were grueling, with each rite lasting about four hours, so at this point, it had become really just torture for her. During the rites, she ate dead animals and coal. She was pissing all over the floor like an animal. She was suffering (laughs) convulsions, inflicting serious wounds upon herself, and channeling, of course, the demons. Once after an exorcism, she actually crawled under the table and barked like a dog for two days and didn't come out. <laughs> oh, God, I shouldn't be laughing because clearly this woman's just very mentally ill, but can you imagine? Right. When she's, like, acting like an animal and they're like, no, this is a demon. <laughs> like, Oh, my God. However, you know, you and I say that this is mental illness, but they're like, you know what? The Virgin Mary is visiting homegirl. This is not just a routine possession. She is Mm-mm. the next Jesus Christ. She is here <laughs> to become the sacrificial lamb and suffer for, to absolve others of their sins. I think this was really convenient for the mom, especially. Yeah, of course. So, at around this point, Annalise, she stopped taking any sort of medication that she had been taking and just gave up, pretty much. Which, mm-hmm. uh, it's really sad. But anyways, 
the eventually the exorcism avengers they come in they say you know what we did it the demons are gone she is healed she is cured which unfortunately came way too late for annalise because she had already dropped to about 66 pounds and due to the ongoing starvation dehydration the self-inflicted injuries and the pneumonia that she developed and the other injuries she actually passed away a few days later on july 1st Mm. uh it was 1976 at the age of 23. Yikes. Oh, man, she was a lot younger than I thought. Yeah, no, she was not that old. So, Annalise, she was passed off for an autopsy. They're like, yeah, just do an autopsy. You'll find some demons. And the doctor that did the autopsy found all of the issues and became really concerned because, like, up until this point, the exorcisms had been very hush-hush. The bishop mm-hmm. had given them strict instructions to keep this under wraps and they didn't want people to find out that there was a possessed girl in their town. They didn't want people to find out that they were doing these exorcisms. Yeah, it could really hurt tourism, right? Right. So, <laughs> they're like, this is com- complete secrecy. And all of a sudden, you know, there's this dead girl. So, what are you going to do about it? And remember, like, this is not that long after World War II. Like, yeah, it's the 70s, but... For these people, mm-hmm. the people that would have been in charge Yeah, they here. all lived through it. Yeah. The doctor's like, uh, what the fuck is this? What's going on here? So he contacted the law. He's like, mm, you want to come take a look at this? Because this is a little fucked up. And the law's like, mm, yeah, there's something fucky going on. So they determined that Annalise, she could have survived if she had been treated correctly by medical professionals mm-hmm. and force-fed even up to a week before she had passed away. So, like, she had been starving for about a year at this, over the 10 months, really. That's when she kind of stopped eating and drinking and stuff. They said, you know, if you had treated this a week ago, she could have survived. And that was around the time of the successful exorcism. And another bookmark for later is that during the autopsy, they actually, you know, cracked open the skull and they discovered that she actually had a relatively healthy brain and no identified identifiable signs of epilepsy even on a microscopic level so oh that's weird bookmark that for later so the state of bavaria because they have states so state of bavaria they're like "Mm, we're gonna investigate this and then there's also a lot of negative public opinion once it kind of came out this girl had died and what had happened and they're like "Mm, this is really fucked up so they decided to charge anna and yosef father all and father runs with negligent homicide Mm-hmm. During the trial, it, it was suggested by multiple medical specialists that Annalise had a psychiatric disorder that coupled with the bad reactions to the antipsychotic and mood-stabilizing medications and her traumatic hyper-religious upbringing, and this all kind of led to her becoming conditioned to the idea that she was placed on this earth to suffer for her mother's sins and that she needed to die for it. They also argued that Annalise was not in a state to consent to the denial of medical care so that her family should have intervened and made those decisions for her. The credibility of the priests were also brought into question as Father Alt was determined to be exhibiting signs of schizophrenia, stating that he could see... (laughs) Well, just wait. He stated that he could see ghosts and demons, which, okay. But then he said he could psychically sense when a person was possessed, so he could just pick a possessed person up off the street. No, bro, that definitely just sounds like (laughs) schizophrenia. 
So Father Renz, who he was, they did a psychiatric analysis on him as well. He was deemed mentally healthy and pretty intelligent, but gullible. So how intelligent are you if, are you just a man? Like, is that it? Is that what's going on Mm -hmm. here? (laughs) Probably. That seems the most likely story. Yeah. They're like, oh, you're intelligent while you're a white man. So. (laughs) That's all we need to hear. Carry on, carry on. <laughs> so it was suggested that the mismanagement of Annalise's issues and continued exorcisms contributed to her fantasy and were not in the best taste. The defense was like, you know what, we're going to show you that she was possessed. <laughs> so they bring in the tapes of the exorcisms and forced everyone to listen to them in court, where the disturbing soundtrack of Annalise's suffering became the background to the defense's claims that Annalise was merely exercising her constitutional rights to practice her religion and deny medical treatment because she was totally in the right frame of mind to do that. And they brought in eyewitnesses to testify the degree and nature of the possession, which that didn't stand up in court, obviously. They even brought in a doctor who had visited Annalise towards the end of her life, not as a medical professional, but as a curious bystander. And he... (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, he was just like, you know what? I'm not here in a professional sense. I'm here in a morbid curiosity sense so he claimed that she looked uninjured she wasn't hurting herself but that he is on the record as saying there were no injections against the devil so this was their attempt to scientifically back up their claims that she was possessed and that didn't really hold up in court either no they brought in the (laughs) let's just this guy wasn't even there in a medical sense he was just there to observe but he, he knows. Of course, yeah. Of course he does. <laughs> the bishop was brought in, and he was like, hey, yo, I authorized the first exorcism. I didn't know the scope, scale, or severity of what was going on. I didn't know she was, this is the state she was in. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have permitted it if I had. So they didn't, he didn't even end up having to testify in court, and they just let him off. But everyone else involved was found guilty of negligent homicide and were served pretty severe sentences for Germany, actually. They had suspended prison sentences and they were ordered to pay for the court costs. And really, they were just looking for, like, they just wanted the guilty verdict for the parents and what the prosecution was arguing was saying, like, just give them the guilty verdict, but they have suffered enough because obviously their daughter is dead. And then they wanted to, I think, find the priest, but then the the judge said no. Everybody's guilty. Everybody has suspended sentences. Everybody's paying for the court costs. Uh, Anna Michelle defends her decision to continue the exorcisms and reject modern health care as she stated in a 2005 interview that God told us to exorcise my daughter's demons. I don't regret her death. Which, like, wow, How fucking mom of the year. Mom at, yeah, in 2005, she would have been crusty at that point. Yeah. I mean, I I think they're both dead. I couldn't really find anything about the parents after, except for, like, a few interview quotes. But mm-hmm. I think they kind of, you know. Yeah. Went to the big rodeo in the sky. Right. <laughs> so, after the completion of the trial, Annalise's parents, they exhumed the body, which had been hastily buried in a cheap pine coffin. And they reburied her in a nice oak coffin lined with tin and put her in a nice little burial, you know, in a churchyard, and they put up a big gravestone. 
It's noted that her body showed regular degree of decomposition during the transfer. There wasn't like the, oh, look, she's immaculate. She mm-hmm. she looked as crusty as she should have been by the time she was uh, yeah. reinterred. And the exorcists were actually prohibited from seeing her body, even though they tried to go see her. But they noted that they kicked him, like, they wouldn't let him near her. Good. Which, Keep why? Out. Anyways, her new resting place, it has become a pilgrimage site. Because guess what? There are possession truthers. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, Pos- like, oh god, this is gonna be good. <laughs> so the possession truthers, they claim that this was not a psychiatric issue because, back to our bookmarks, she had a relatively normal brain that did not show signs of epilepsy from the brain scans from the autopsy. And the fact that Dr. Luthi was accused of telling her parents to get her an exorcism because he thought she was possessed, even though he denied it. Uh, they claim that the media and the law, they are covering up what is the next Jesus Christ, a modern saint, and that she was possessed and she died for our sins. Um, yeah, that's their argument. That seems like a big stretch. They have a Facebook page. <gasps> You're kidding. Yeah, it's like called modern exorcism or something. I'll have to I'll have to go relook it up, but yeah. Oh, I can't get on Facebook on my iPad because my iPad's too fucking old. Otherwise, I would have looked it up. But yeah, they they think that the the man is holding them down and keeping them down and is not telling us the truth about her possession. Now, the experts they think that there's significant evidence that she actually did have a temporal lobe epilepsy situation type deal, which caused Geschwind syndrome and epileptic, epileptic psychosis. Now, Geschwind syndrome is a behavioral change phenomena where very minor seizures over time cause a catastrophic change in personality, and that can include hyper-religiosity and epilepsy, uh, just going over above and beyond, really fixating on one thing. Now, it can also cause uh, epileptic psychosis, which is just psychosis caused by epilepsy. So they think that, like, there's a subtle combination of the two, which actually caused the possession. Keep in mind that the Amityville Horror and the Exorcist had come out not very long before this incident. And they were very popular. Mm Mm-hmm. Father Alt, in fact, had both read and gone to the movies to see The Exorcist, and he became obsessed with it. He's like, oh my god, look at that guy. Like, what's the priest in The Exorcist? I don't even know. Because my name is Father Alt, and I'm going to be bigger than him. So Father Alt was really out here just, like, making it rain exorcisms all over. And actually, this time and this period of history is actually where there was a huge upswing in exorcisms because of the exorcist and the Amityville horror. Mm-hmm. That makes so, sense. So this was like, this is a very big issue. And I mean, it was kind of like paranormal activity or the Blair Witch Project for us, where everyone's like, is mm-hmm. it real? Is it not real? So on top of that, the negligent, the negligence came up when they continued to perform exorcisms on her because it continued to play into the exorcist fantasy, not only for her, but also for Father Alt. 
And it's Mm -hmm. been hypothesized that the priests, they helped contribute to the narrative by making suggestions during the the exorcisms that further fueled the delusion. So they don't think that Annalise came up with this all on her own. They think that the priests were like, are you Cain? And she was like, yeah. Yeah, I am. I guess I might be. (laughs) So it has been suggested that there was a sort of folie du or shared psychosis, which is, like, basically the intermediate step in between psychosis and mass hysteria, where it's Mm -hmm. a smaller group of psychosis. Father Alt was experiencing some psychosis that may have triggered the already vulnerable and validation-seeking Annalise, who, you know, she's living this really pious lifestyle, this really hyper-religious lifestyle, and she's just like, he is a priest, so he knows what he's talking about. So Mm -hmm. it suggested that she was easily manipulated by him, and they just sort of fed off of one another till it spiraled way out of control with their mutual psychosis. And it just sort of rubbed off on the others around them because they're seeing, you know, these two people interacting. They're like, you know what? This this is definitely happening. <laughs> Jesus. Regardless, Annalise's death was not for naught. The highly publicized investigation and trial led to the limitation of exorcisms in Germany, even though it was rising everywhere else in the world. And eventually throughout the whole Catholic Church, later in 1999 when Pope John Paul II made it so that exorcisms could only be performed in last-ditch efforts on very rare cases with less brutal rites under the supervision of a psychiatric and medical professional. So, like, now they have to take a doctor and a psychiatrist and they have to have, you know, they have to try everything else and they really have to go through a ringer before they can get an exorcism. And really, I think the Catholic Church sees it more as, like, an assistance to a mental health issue than a... Mm -hmm actual possession they're like if right. if giving you a possession will make you feel better <laughs> so like i said i can't really find anything about anna and yosef if they're alive if they're dead what happened where they went but i did find that in 2013 the house where the exorcisms had taken place actually burned down and it was oh de- man <laughs> well it, they said it I was thought you were gonna say that it was for sale or something and i'm like oh my god how much money do you have I wish. I, I don't know how nice it together. was, though. I don't think it was that nice. Well, I mean, it's a famous house. We can make money off of it. Well, but there's piss all over the floor. Probably smells like piss. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but it's demon. Demon pee. And burning right? shit. So can, can, can you monetize that? <laughs> it just adds to the charm, right? You say there was a possession that took place here. That's why it smells like <laughs> shit and piss. <laughs> Like maybe you'll maybe you'll get a whiff. Yeah, and then you can like make in the souvenir shop a candle that smells like the house, so that you like remember the experience forever. That would be, I mean, good business plan. I'm a businesswoman. <laughs> let me tell you, I'm full of good ideas. But yeah, so they said they said the house burned out because it was arson, but pretty much all the truthers say no, it was the devil. The devil burned down the house. And uh, if all of this sounds familiar, it's because Annalise's story was adapted into the 2005 movie, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. So, Ooh. yeah. It's also Snaps tropes from that. it have been used in other other shows and movies and not directly ripped off, yeah. but. There is a TV show on CBS called Evil. It's on the, only in the streaming app, but um, they get into, like, some exorcism stuff, and a lot of the themes from this story are very heavily 
in that. And actually, they do a pretty good job about it, too, because they're, like, it's kind of along the same vein of um, Supernatural, where they're, like, hunting something case by case. Mm -hmm. But the Ghostbusting crew consists of a Catholic priest, an IT guy, and a psychiatrist. So they go on and they, like, try to decide, is this actually, like, a thing? Or do we actually need to, like, exercise the demons? It's pretty good. Right. It's pretty good. Well, and I think American Horror Story uh, Asylum had something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Rip Annalise. Snaps for you. Snaps for you. But also, like, how I dare her mom be like, story. I don't regret her death. I don't feel bad about it at all. Like, really? Yeah. Just... And how dare her mom have the audacity to live on from that moment clear until at least 2005. Right. That, to me, sucks. That Annalise had that kind of a death, and her mom just gets to keep on being a crusty old bitch. I kind of hope that all the other kids turn out to be, like, strippers or something. Oh, God. Can you imagine? Yeah, because they had three other daughters. They can come work at the Amityville Whorehouse for us. (laughs) Now contracting (laughs) all the Michelles. Again, no shade to sex workers. We love... We stand. But as a person, if you were a person that had very Catholic parents, that would be like, not great. For them, not for you. You're making the bag and we respect you for it. I mean... A little stinky baby. Like, my mom is Catholic, but she's never tried to give me an exorcism and I feel like there's been more than one occasion where it would have been warranted in my case. So, props (laughs) to you, mom, for not getting, not making me do an exorcism. Well... Should I get into the next story? Let's do it. I picked him. Well, it's not technically a murder. I mean, it's probably a murder. That's the running theory is that this is a murder. But anyway, so. My story is one of intrigue and mystery and Kelsey Pree's murder because this is a true crime podcast. Um... And so, while most murders are not that difficult to solve, it was, like, either the husband, the wife, jealous whomever, most crimes do fit that pattern and a motive is usually pretty clear. However, this story is very different and it all begins with a man in a suit on the beach. Dun, dun, dun. That was, like, way more lead in this than this needed. Anyways, so... Our case, it actually begins on the evening of November 30th in 1948 in Adelaide, which is the capital of South Australia. So that evening, a local jeweler named John Lyons and his wife, they're out on a nice little romantic beach stroll um, on Somerton Beach. So this is like a little bit outside of the city of Adelaide, just for reference. So like a suburb, you would have had to take in like a train or public transportation, just keep that in mind. So, while they're walking along the beach, they happen to notice a very well-dressed man, and he is lying, or not quite lying, he's, like, resting in the sand, and his head is propped up against a seawall. So, he's, like, kind of laying down, and he's got his head up against a seawall, as if he's, like, taking a little siesta. So, the couple, they watch him for a while, because, like, obviously, he's on a beach in a suit, like, it's weird, what is he doing? And 
they notice the guy. Eventually, they see him move. He reaches his arm up towards his face, and then it kind of, like, falls back down to the sand. And at the time, it very much looks to the lions like he was just a drunk and, like, he was just trying to smoke a cigarette and was, like, having a little nap on a beach to sober up. So, being Australia, they're just, like, nothing out of the ordinary, and they just continue on their little beach walk. So, the next morning, John, the same guy from that couple from the night before, he's walking along the same stretch of beach because he's just gone out for a morning swim. Like, good for him. Love that for him. Uh, John, he happens to notice a crowd of people that are hanging around the same spot where he noticed the mystery drunk man from the night before. And so as he walks over, he happens to notice that it is the same man from the night before was slumped over in the same position that he had noticed him in yesterday. So aside from the sand, he's still dressed immaculately. His shoes are very highly polished and his feet are crossed very neatly. Um, so it would not appear that he had traipsed through the sand at any great distance. Um, it, it's just very suspicious. And then also it's of note that on his body, there's no marks of violence. Like nothing is like disheveled or out of place really. And he has a half smoked cigarette that's lying on his suit collar as if it had fallen out of his mouth. Um, obviously at this point, the police are called. And then three hours later, the body of the man in the suit arrives at Royal Adelaide hospital. And it's determined that his time of death had been no later than 2 AM the previous morning. So <laughs> there's a fly. Get it, get it, get it. <laughs> I don't know get where it, it went. You were talking about the possession story and now the demons are coming out in the fly form I guess. to get you. Oh, okay. I'm good. I'm good. Are we... Okay. <laughs> so, as I said, his time of death is determined to have been no later than 2 a.m. the previous morning. So, at this point, they're suspecting that the cause of death was heart failure, but that he was also suspected to have been poisoned. So, cause of death is heart failure due to fatal poisoning. Um and so now shit's really starting to get real because uh, it's not just a man of, like, having drunk, drank himself to death. Um, it looks to the police as if they have a murder on their hands. And they're like, okay, so we've got a murder on hands and we've got a shrimp on the barbie because we're in Australia. So it is time to get to business. So at this point, the investigation begins and the contents of the man's pockets are spread out on a table and really it's nothing that's like super out of the ordinary. So what he has is a train ticket from Adelaide to the beach. He has gum, matches, a pack of cigarettes, and a comb. Um, curiously, there's no wallet, there's no cash, no ID, nothing to determine who this man actually is. And also slightly suspicious later, but not so much at this time, was that he had two different brands of cigarettes in one box. So he had like a, I don't remember exactly the pack of cigarettes it was, but he had like a weird name brand, like a Marlboro would be in Australia. And then he had seven of those cigarettes were of a weird off brand that you wouldn't necessarily come across easily. Um, also weird was that all the labels had been carefully cut out of his clothing and that one of his pockets had been repaired with a strange orange thread. So going through these clues to me, as a person who hates itchy things, it's not super weird to me that all of his tags are cut out because if it's itchy, it's getting removed. 
Um, so like maybe this guy just had sensory issues, but perhaps, you know, it's the 19, late 1940s. So people aren't really thinking of mental illness in that way, clearly, as we discussed in our last story. So for them, it's a clue. So like, go off my guys. Um, a day later, the full autopsy is completed. And so just 24 hours after this man's death, the police have exhausted any lead that they have to identify who he was or find out who the killer was. Um, and the postmortem report prepared by the examiner, it's not any help either. So they show that his pupils were smaller than normal and that he had a dribble of spit on his face, but that's likely from being unable to swallow due to whatever poisoning it was. And his spleen was also nearly three times the normal size and his liver was full of blood. So they were also actually able to determine what his last meal had been, and he had a pasty. So Love he a had gotten a, yeah, anything from the trolley, dears. I wonder if it was a pumpkin pasty. Maybe it's probably like a like a kangaroo meat pasty. Yeah, it's probably since it was the last meal, it was probably like a dinner pasty, like something with meat in it. Obviously, hang on, I need to get a sippy sip. Speaking of which, so we'll, I'm going to derail us. Uh, oh, yeah, please do. So when I was little, I went to North and South Dakota with my grandpa and step-grandma and great-grandma. And mm-hmm. we got pasties. And I was like, pasties, like pumpkin pasties. My only experience mm-hmm. with pasties was like Harry Potter. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll have one. And I thought it was weird that they were like, hey, you want some ketchup for it? I was like, what? So I took a big bite of it, and it was just, like, hamburger. Just cooked hamburger. Oh. I was like... Not what you were expecting. Right. Not what I was expecting. And also, uh, fun fact about me, I don't really like hamburger. Like, if I'm going to eat meat, I want to eat a, a nice piece of meat, not ground hamburger. You know so. what's fair? I also... Like, I like hamburgers if it's in the form of a cheeseburger. But, like, if it's just ground beef... Oh, I, you know, I'm about to make myself a liar because I also like tacos. But well, that's different. basically meatloaf or like ground beef in just like the ground beef form, just like the crumbly beef form. Yeah, I don't. No, thank you. Well, like I like a hamburger, but I like a thin hamburger or like a stick and yeah. hamburger. Yeah. A... Yeah, I don't want just like a big mouthful of ground beef. <laughs> like in and out. I'm not a huge fan of Red Robin. So I do like, okay, I, that's a lie. I like to go there because they have unlimited fries, so I'll just get unlimited okay, fries. Okay, true. Very true. <laughs> or I'll get chicken tendies or something, but mm-hmm. not chicken a Chicken tendies with those unlimited french fries. Hell yeah. But yeah, don't just bite into a pasty without asking what's in it first, because you're going to be disappointed. Pasties of disappointment, just saying. If it's not a pumpkin pasty, I don't want it. Anyways, pasty. yes. Um, pasties. He had a pasty as his last meal. Um... I hope he wasn't disappointed. And his, I hope it was the best pasty he's ever had. Okay, wait, I'm going to derail us just a, a moment again, because pasties to me are very similar to empanadas. Mm-hmm. And do you want to know what the best empanada I ever had in my life was? It was literally in the airport um, in Orlando. <laughs> At just like a random gate, there was like a little quickie mart type of situation that these two, um, it was like a called Cubano Mart or something like that. And it was these two like really nice Cuban ladies and they had like a bunch of different like foods inside of this little gas station heating thing. And I was like, I'm either going to 
regret this decision for the rest of the day, as I said, on an airplane and then on a two-hour drive back to my home, or it's going to be the best choice I've ever made. And when I tell you, it was the best empanada I've ever had. I don't think you have to worry about it when it's, like, that. I think you have to worry about it when it's from a 7-Eleven. True. It looked very suspect, though. I will just tell you, like, I looked at it, I'm like, I may not live to see the other side of this flight, but it's going to be worth it because I'm starving. And you wonder why you have digestive issues because you make choices. I know. And then, well, but listen, I went to Sonic, a very reputable chain today, and got half-priced corn dogs and it fucked me up. So. You should call corporate. You should just be like, hey, I'm not going to bother your employees with this, but you should know that you fucked up. Yeah. Excuse me, but as a huge fan of your company, I demand um, free soft pretzels for a year. So, yeah, if you're listening that and you're bored, go Sonic. harass Sonic Corporate. Go tell them. Sonic, that. we even bought the t-shirts this summer. We did. We're we're both big Sonic fans, um, except for now I'm not going to be able to eat, eat a corn dog without wanting to puke probably for another year. So, well, I and I, corn dogs, man. I went the other day and they didn't have soft pretzels and I was pissed. Mm. I didn't, I didn't say it. I was just like, oh, okay. But I was pissed. Gosh dang it. I was furious. Okay, back to the... Anyways, back to, <laughs> back to the story. So, death meal was a pasty. Also of note in his stomach, aside from the pasty, was blood. Um, however, they were able to tell that the poison that likely killed him was not in the pasty that he ate. So, it was a good day for the bakery owners of Adelaide because nobody poisoned him to death. So... Clearly, all of our signs here are pointing to a poisoning, and this man's weird behavior, i.e. like sleeping on the beach in a fully clothed, like fine, fancy suit, immaculate shoes, it's not due to any drunken decision making. However, the weird thing about them suspecting that it was poisoning is that the chemist that had done part of the autopsy failed to find even a faint trace of poison in his bloodstream, despite all of the evidence leading to this conclusion. Um, mm. But there's some poisons strange. that you can, they, you ingest them and you won't find any. Mm-hmm. That was an episode. Yeah, and that's actually files. brought up, um, there's like a, this never really goes to trial, but it's brought up, and I left this out of the research because I was like kind of confused about how this fit in, but I'll just put it a little aside because you brought that up, that at one point during the investigation, it's brought up that there's two very specific types of poison that he could have potentially ingested that would have caused not it not to show up in the bloodstream, but for it to kill him and then dissipate out of his body very quickly. And they're both very foreign and exotic to where he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're actually so dangerous and lethal that during the investigation, the chemist wouldn't even name the poisons in case it got out to people in the paper and then people started poisoning everyone with this stuff. Well, I'll tell you one. So, it's barium acetate. Well, that was not one of the two on the list, so maybe well, that was a newer finding. It's like the TikTok. I'll tell you, or we will not even speak his name. I'll tell you. It was Mike. No, it's barium acetate because yeah. <laughs> it was on a forensic files. Like, this girl poisoned her dad because he wouldn't let her, like, I don't know, sleep with her boyfriend or something stupid. Mm. But she poisoned with barium acetate that she got out of a chemistry lab because up until a certain point, it wasn't realized that it would cause death if you ingested it but it would look Dang. like um just heart failure well that seems to probably be although it wasn't that particular poison probably something very similar happened here yeah. because the 
coroner was like, yes, it was heart failure that killed him, but ultimately it was due to the poisoning. But aside from all that stuff, his physical, like the outer body showed some weird irregularities too. So for one, he had a very high and very well-developed calf muscles for a man that they determined to be in, like, his late 40s. So he fucked. Um, so they were like, that's a little weird. So, yeah, he did. He <laughs> fucked. Or ran marathons. But the really weird part here, it gets stranger, and this could also explain the very well-developed calf muscles. His toes were actually described as being oddly wedge-shaped, um, which is more typical of someone who is in the habit of wearing high heels or pointed shoes. Also, keep in mind, ladies that wear high heels all the time have very well-developed calf muscles, so. Now, in 1948, I don't think people would have jumped to the conclusion um, that that's normal, because, like, you see men in high heels pretty regularly nowadays, Mm -hmm. but back then, they're like, well, he was either a, quote-unquote, as they put it back then, a cross-dresser or a ballet dancer. Wait, so... Wedge shape, you mean like your the ball of your foot is wider and the your heel is smaller? I am unclear what they meant by that, but whatever they meant by that, it was implied that that's a common occurrence of ladies that wear high heels is that foot shape. So like, they're like, that's weird. Like this. Like, you're getting this for free. This is going to end up on feetfinder.com. Yes. <laughs> but see, the, yeah, because I used to do dance, so my heel is way smaller yeah. than... Like, it's not normal. It doesn't Yeah, doesn't and then right. I think his toes, because they had mentioned that it, like, specifically pointed toe heels, that his toes were, like, very close. Like, they kind of jammed together a little bit. So, yeah. Look, that's... Yeah, so, That's what we're looking at here. Yes. That's, this I did is just a, get a, a pedicure. Great foot. Ashley, you shouldn't give this away for free. You could get paid for this. You can, uh, you can blur it out. You can just... I don't know. Guys, well, I'm not going to blur it out, but if anyone wants to pay Ashley for, like, more detailed foot fix, um, you can DM us on our Instagram, and I will make sure she gets your contact info, and then, you know, you can arrange something. Yeah. Just send me a... Get the a, bag. Just send me a... I don't know. WhatsApp? WhatsApp? Venmo me. I don't care. Send me money. That's what the kids are doing. Yeah. My feet are ugly, though. Nobody wants to see my feet. I know we want to see uh, There's my some, feet. okay, if you go on those foot fetish websites, there's specifically categories for like fucked up feet. So I feel like your feet are not <laughs> fucked up, first of all. But even if they were, someone would still want to pay for you for those puppies. So it's funny because it's like, you know, the Trixie Mattel thing. I'm sorry, I'm going to derange this real quick and then we can back to the story. Oh, that's fine. You know, the Trixie Mattel thing where she's like, I should be in porn. I do that with my feet. I'm like, I should sell feet pics. Like, look at this. And then. Uh, I'll just, like, send it to my sisters on Snapchat, and they'll just be like, no, you should not. Your feet are hideous. I'm like, thank you. Thank no. you for Thank you for bringing me sisters, back down to earth. <laughs> no. Sisters, if you're listening, um, that is so rude. Ashley could totally sell her foot fix. Foot fix? Her, <laughs> maybe you fix. could. That's another genre of, like, fanfic is, like, erotic foot fiction. <laughs> so maybe you could sell that, too. But she could sell the pictures and the fix, and, like, together. And mm-hmm. you could, like, illustrate the, the foot fic with the foot pick and then sell it as, like, a packaged item. I'm yeah. a businesswoman. Between the candles and the foot fic, like, it's, I'm on a roll tonight, baby. Foot pick fanfic. Got it. I'm in, like, a corn dog delirium right now. So <laughs> they're just, 
<laughs> but I also send self. it to Devin, and Devin's just like, you absolutely could sell feed pics, go off sis. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, no, my confidence has already been crushed. No. Girls, <laughs> don't be mean to your sister. <laughs> I just want to sell feed pics and not have to work. Exactly. And like, okay, you too. If you go on footfinder.com, and if you haven't, you should, there are like specific categories, even for me, who, hi, I have bunions on my feet. Um, I could sell my foot pics too, and my feet are pretty fucked up, so your sister can definitely sell feet pics because hers are not nearly as fucked up as mine. Anyway, I'm going to get back to the story and off of the <laughs> foot pic thing. So, again, they've determined this man has either the feet of a high heel wearer or a ballet dancer. So, the police are just like, they don't know what the fuck to do with this guy. And so they end up taking a full set of his fingerprints and they end up circulating these fingerprints throughout all of Australia. And that ends up turning up no leads. Um, and then they disperse these fingerprints through the entire English speaking world and nobody could identify this guy. Like, he's never been to jail. He's never been fingerprinted. So he probably wasn't in military service because I believe that's part of it back then. But while this is happening, um, the fingerprint thing, families from around Adelaide who are missing loved ones or who had recognized this man's face from the photo, guys, they literally took a photo of this man's corpse and printed it in the newspaper. <laughs> Which, would that happen today? I don't know that it would, but they printed this corpse's photo, like a close-up of his face in the newspaper. I mean, not, so they in the were bringing... news, not in the news, though, but like, remember the Bianca Devins thing where... Like, they mm. put out the scene, the crime scene photo. Well, they put out the photos that the guy that killed her had taken of her. And, like, they're still just floating around the internet. And they can't get rid of them. Oh. Well, even though the family's been like, please take it down. Well, imagine you're in the year 1948. You go, newsman, let me get a copy of the Daily Herald. And you get it. And it's just, like, a giant picture of a corpse on the front. And that's what the hot news thing is. And everyone's like, oh, yes, this is normal. Um, I don't know. I like that. But anyway, so people that are missing loved ones and people that think they might recognize this man's face from the photos you're seeing in the newspaper are being carted in to try and ID this body and, like, nobody... He is an enigma. Nobody is claiming this man. So, by January 11th, it's a little over a month later, every lead that they had on the case, every route that they've taken is has been dismissed. Like, nothing is coming of this. Um, and so what they do now is that they're trying to ID this man by locating either abandoned luggage or personal items that might help determine if this man was from out of state. So with this, they start a really tedious task of checking every hotel, every dry cleaner, every lost and found office and train station for miles. Um, and as fucking ridiculous as it sounds, it actually produces a result when on January 12th, detectives are actually able to locate a brown suitcase that had been abandoned on November 30th at the main railway station in Adelaide. So remembering back to our story, November 30th is the day that they saw him like drunkenly on the beach or what they thought was a drunken man on the beach. Um, And he also in his pocket, they had found a train ticket. So this is like the guy's suitcase. They are super excited. Now, unfortunately, the staff at the train station, they don't remember anything about the man who left it, which, like, duh, it's, like, over a month later. It's a very busy train station. Why would they? Um, And in keeping with the theme of mysteries, the case's contents are not 
super helpful. Um, so what the case did contain was a reel of orange thread that was identical to that used to repair the mystery man's trousers. Um, so they're able to be like, yes, this is his case because this matches that. Um, but it appeared that really painstaking care had been taken to remove any trace of the owner's identity from this luggage. So the case had no stickers or markings and a label had been clearly torn off of one side. Um, the tags were also missing from all but three items of clothing on the inside, just as it had been on his suit that he was wearing. And the tags that did still exist on the clothing had the name of Keen or T. Keen. Um, but it proved kind of impossible to trace anyone of that name. Um, and the police concluded that someone had purposely left these labels on the clothing knowing that the dead man's name was not Keen and leaving it as false evidence, basically. Okay, so the remainder of the contents of the suitcase are equally unhelpful. So there was a stencil kit that was commonly used on merchant ships to label cargo. There's a table knife that had the handle cut down, sort of like a shiv. Um, there was a coat stitched using a feather stitch, which is not something that Australian tailors typically use. Um, so they said that this particular coat, the stitch work is of American in origin, um, suggesting that the coat wearer had traveled during World War II likely, but they were unable to turn up any immigration records, um, and so that turned up no leads. So what seemed like a break in the case kind of just leads to further frustration. And so the police end up bringing in another expert named John Cleland. And I feel like this story is just full of Johns. Every man's name in the story is John. John Doe, John Lyons, John Cleland. We've got another one. Anyway, they bring in Johnny Boy to re-examine the corpse. And in April, so this is four months after, after the body's discovered, the expert search provides the final piece of evidence. So on keeping... Um, on brand, the scrap of evidence is just as confusing as the rest. Um, so while examining the body, this guy, he doesn't turn up anything new on the physical body. However, he did discover a small pocket that had been sewn into the waistband of the dead man's pants. And inside that pocket, rolled up super tiny on a little bitty baby scrap of paper, um, is a note that reads, To mom should, in fancy printed script. So... This evidence gets out, and a police reporter recognized the words as being Persian and suggested that the police check out a book of poetry called The Rubiat of Omar Khayyam. I apologize for my pronunciation, but apparently this book of poems is written in the 12th century and then had a resurgence of popularity in Australia during World War II. Um, however, the police are unable to locate an edition of the book that matches the fancy type from the secret note. However, they are able to determine that the words Taman should did come from the book. And in fact, they were the very last, um, words in the book, meaning it is ended. So the note in his pants reads, it is ended in Persian. Ominous. So I know, right? So this clue leads the police to believe that the death actually might be a case of suicide for some reason. I think that's kind of a reach. Um, and in fact, the police, they never end up turning their missing person case into a full-blown murder case because at this point they're operating off of the assumption that it is a suicide, which is so strange to me. Um, and so while this is a very intriguing clue, it doesn't really 
bring them any closer to identifying the man. And meanwhile, his body has begun to decompose. Obviously, it's been a very long time since he was found dead. So it's decided that they're finally going to put him to rest. Um, however, the police weren't really, like, stoked on getting rid of the little evidence that they had to ID who this person was. And so they end up taking a cast of the head and upper torso. And after that, they bury the body, seal it under concrete in a plot of dry ground that they specifically chose in case they needed to exhume it later. Anyway, so as the investigation is still ongoing, the mystery of the secret note that was found in his pocket starts to kind of unravel further in July of that year. So eight months after the investigation has begun. Um, And that day... A local man, he ends up walking into a detective's office in Adelaide, and he's carrying a copy of the poetry book that that mom should note had come from, with a strange story about how he had come across it. So, this guy, he says that earlier that year in December, so not long after the body had been found, he had gone on a drive with his brother-in-law in a car that he kept parked basically long-term in a parking lot that was a few hundred yards from the beach where they had found the dead man. So this man's brother-in-law found a copy of a book on the floor by the rear seat. And they kind of just each assumed that that book belonged to the other one and didn't really say anything about it. So it got stashed in the glove box where it then sat for eight months. So eventually the car owner, he sees an article in the newspaper about the strange book and the hunt for like the perfect match for that little note that was found. And then he seems to be like, hmm, I remember that book. Um, I think it's in my glove box. And so he goes to the glove box and upon doing so realizes that his copy of that book is missing the final page, the portion of the page that would have had the little to mom should written on it, basically. So he brings the book down to the police station. He's like, hey, guys, here you go. And so the detective at this point is probably like creaming his pants because after he takes a look at it, he almost immediately finds a phone number that is written on the rear cover. And so he could also faintly make out an outline of some other letters that were written in all caps um, as if they'd been like pushed into whatever backing or paper it was on. So it wasn't written on it, but you could kind of see it was there. And so finally, guys, Blue has found a clue. Um, And so the detective is able to track this phone number to a young nurse who lived near Somerton Beach. And although she's never publicly identified, she does reluctantly admit that she had given a copy of this book to a man whom she'd known during World War II. And this man's name was Alfred Boxall. And so... We have a lead, you guys. The police are sure that they had ID'd the mystery man and that it was Alfred. Um, But, guys, the plot's going to get even thicker. So the problem with this is that Alfred Boxall was still alive and he is living in New South Wales. And when they go to visit Alfred, they find that he has a copy also of the same exact book. And in this copy of the book, the nurse's number was also written. So there's two copies of this edition, this hard to find edition of this book. And both of those copies have this nurse's number written in it. So of course the detectives are like, we have to circle back and follow up with this nurse for additional questioning. Cause that's just too fucking weird. And so during the second line of questioning, 
The nurse seems to recall that at some point during the previous year, she couldn't remember the exact date, she had come home and been told by her neighbors that an unknown man had called and asked for her. Um, this doesn't strike me as super weird personally, because she was like young and hot, like she could have had suitors. But the weird thing that happens in this interview is that the detectives, remember they had taken a cast of the dead man's body, so they bring this cast out, and they noted that when she sees this cast, she looks visibly taken aback and like she was about to pass out. Like, this has her shooketh, and she, it seems that she definitely recognizes the face, but when asked about her reaction, she denies up down that she knows who this man is. Like, she says that she doesn't recognize him at all. So this dead end leaves the detectives with only one remaining lead to go off of, and that is the letters that they had noticed imprinted in the back of the copy of that book. So in order to see these letters more clearly, they take the book, they put it under UV light, and this is like very advanced for 1948. Like, good for them. They're really doing the detective work here. And so they're able to reveal five lines of seemingly random letters and so the second line of letters is entirely crossed out, and the bottom two lines are separated from the top three by a straight line with X's through it. So the detectives are like, we seem to have a code on our hands, so very much like the Zodiac case where there's a weird cipher to solve. Um, granted, this case happens about three decades before that, but it very much gives those vibes. So the detectives, they end up sending this cipher this code out to intelligence agencies um, and allow it to be published in newspapers to hopefully get some sort of amateur sleuths on the case. Um, unfortunately, guys, this produces no results. And the intelligence agency comes back to them and is like, this is impossible. We have no fucking idea. Like, this is not going nowhere. And that's kind of where the mystery stays for a very, very, very long time. Um, the Australian police, they never crack the code or identify the unknown man. The nurse, she dies without revealing why she was so sketchy about the dead man's face. And then when the South Australia coroner publishes the final results of the investigation 10 years later in 1958, he reported that, quote, I am unable to say who the deceased was. I am unable to say how he died or what was the cause of death. However, guys... This is 2022. We are in the wake of a true crime resurgence. And also, we got more technology nowadays. So, this case has come back up and begun to attract new attention. And amateur detective and armchair experts are kind of determined to crack the case now. And so, there's actually been some success in solving one or two of the smaller mysteries surrounding this case. So, there's two investigators in particular. One is a retired Australian policeman named Gary Feltis, and the other is Professor Derek Abbott. He works at a university in Adelaide. Um, and so they've made a particularly useful progress, both admitting that they have not solved the mystery entirely, but their work is, you know, going pretty far to, like, solve some of the clues or whatever. So right off the bat, I'll just let you know, the man, they, it's widely agreed that the nurse did, in fact, know his identity. However, we still don't know it. So he's still a John Doe, but the nurse was shady. She was lying. And that's what everyone kind of agrees to. And it's likely related that, or basically the implication is that the nurse knew him from 
the World War II period for whatever reason. And so one common theory is that the man was a former boyfriend. And after looking into the nurse after the war, um, it comes to light that she did have a son. Um, And when looking at the son versus photos of John Doe, there's a lot of very striking similarities between the two. And so this leaves us with the theory that the dead man was someone that the nurse had dated and had a child with. Um, And so that obviously would have been very taboo at the time to have a child out of wedlock. So it suggested that she hid the pregnancy. And when the man eventually found out about the child and came knocking, um, he either A, killed himself when he was told that he was unable to see the child, which I don't buy into, or, and this is the theory that I think is probably the most likely, um, he was offed by the nurse's current live-in husband or boyfriend because it's determined that she did indeed have a boyfriend or husband at this time when he would have come knocking. And so he was offed out of jealousy and also to protect the nurse's reputation. I should also mention that I think or three, that he was like, I'm going to come be this kid's dad. And she's like, fuck you, no. And she poisoned him. Mm. True. He's like, that is also gonna... a very good point to bring up here. He's like, He's, we're he was definitely life. poisoned. We know that much. Yeah. He's like, you know what? You're going to, you're going to be, you're going to do all the chores. You're going to raise kids. You're going to mm-hmm. be here for me and I'm just going to work and that's all I have to do. And she's like, uh-uh, that life is not for me, boy. So she poisoned him. I no, do it. Homie. Yeah. Yeah, do what you gotta do, man. Protect the children. Protect Um, yourself, girlfriend. And I should also point out, too, the nurse did eventually get named. Um, However, the article that I was reading was giving her an alias name still, so I don't know if it was only, like, given to investigators to follow up on. I think the name that they ended up giving her was Justine as, like, her alias name, Um, but I I just call her the nurse because that's not her real name, so who the fuck cares? Um, Anyways... There's obvious problems with any of those theories, though, because the poison used was one that was very rare and exotic, so it would have been really strange for, like, a normal man or woman to have gotten their hands on it. Um, So the two suspected poisons are actually derived from plants from Africa, and they would not have been easy to come across or manufacture in Australia. Um, And so this leads some theorists to a more interesting theory Um, that the man was a spy. And so after doing some digging on Alfred Boxall, remember, he's the other man that had the same copy of that book, Um, it's determined that Alex had worked as a spy in World War II and that the mystery man had died at the onset of the Cold War at a time when there was, like, a British rocket testing facility not far from Adelaide, and it was one of the most secret bases in the world. So they're like, there's this connection with Alfred and this man. Alfred was a known spy. Um, and then this guy, like, turns up dead near a very secret base. And then it's theoried that the letters that they found was a cipher that was, like, how spies were passing code. And for some reason, maybe this very highly sought-after and rare copy of this book was their, like, code breaker. Like, they were able to solve the codes based off of, like, something in this book, is the theory. Mm-hmm. Although, it's, the cipher's still not been solved, so. I don't know. Um, oh, also, fun fact, remember those cigarettes we talked about earlier? The leading theory 
in the spy death case is that the poison was administered to him via his cigarettes, which might explain why he had two brands in one box. Remember, he had a very common brand in Australia, and then he had a handful of ones that were, like, kind of weird. Um, that is seems strange. So, it's also been uncovered that another man died under very suspicious circumstances around roughly the same time um, that also died with a copy of that book nearby. And both copies of the book were the same edition. So Alfred the Spy and then two mysterious men die, all with the same rare copy of this book. So that brings us to the final, final mystery here. So upon going through police files of the case, our armchair expert, Mr. Gary Feltis, he stumbled upon one piece of evidence that was neglected in the initial investigation. There was a statement given in 1959 by a man who had been on Somerton Beach um, on the evening that the man in the suit had died. And he said that he had seen a man carrying another man on his shoulder near the water's edge. So it's this evidence. I guess it would have been hard to follow up on because if you just saw like a random man on the beach, like why are you going to remember who that is? But they did see someone carrying this man to this spot. So it's pretty clear that it was not a suicide at this point. So that's kind of it, you guys. I mean, it's like touted as one of the biggest mysteries in Australia. Um, but yeah, we still don't know who this man is, but I think he was a spy. So wait, I seem to remember something about this where the daughter of the son of the nurse, there was like one of the researchers came over to Australia to like do research on it. And she's like, oh yeah, I'll help you. Because, like, this guy's probably my grandpa. Mm -hmm. And, like, I could be wrong, but I thought, like, they fell in love and they got married. And she, like, provided DNA. I did not DNA. see that. But I'll have to look into it. Because it is shocking to me that his body would not have been exhumed to see if they could, like, find any sort of family line to trace it back to a missing persons. Well, and I think that they did find that she was she was a descendant of him, but that... They still didn't know who he was. Like, they, they the mm -hmm. end of the story is that they don't know who he is, but that she is his granddaughter. Oh. I could be That's wrong. That's interesting. Though. Yeah, I'll have to look into that because I, truthfully, I had, like, three or four articles I was flipping between and it kind of ended there, but. I think it might have been on the, like Buzz, the BuzzFeed ago. Unsolved version because they covered it, too, so. Well, my running theory is that he was a spy. Him, Alfred, and the other guy, all spies, and they were all offed by But he was also someone. a ballet dancer or a cross-dresser. I like to think that he went out at night wearing heels. Like, that was his second life. Like, being a spy was stressful, so he had to, like, cut loose somehow. Okay, but what if it was that he was a spy, but, you know, he was a man, but he dressed up as a woman so that people wouldn't know oh. it was him. But that's why all his clothes were kind of weird, didn't have tags on him, because he, like, stole them. I was like, yeah, I gotta, mm. I gotta switch... Switch my e my alter ego real quick, and then they're like, That's no, a theory. we still know that you're the dude, so we're going to murder you. Either way, definitely not a suicide. In Maybe my he was opinion. just non-binary. I mean, I mean, gender is a construct. So. But yeah. Anyways, that, that is the story of what they call Tamam Should, because of the note in his pocket. So wait... With the, the guy, 
What if it was yeah. like a, we're going to go off the wall here. What if it was like a alternate reality thing where it's like, she gave, like, she gave the, the book to the guy in an alternate reality and then. Well, okay. I don't know that necessarily alternate reality, but I think that she was definitely, no matter what happened, whether it was off of him because jealous ex-husband or there were spies, she was definitely involved. So thinking about it this afternoon, I was like, I feel like during World War II, these three men plus this woman were involved in some sort of spy activity. And that's why she was like, oh shit, when she saw the cast of the man, that's why the other guy had her number too. So like maybe she was some sort of like contact to relay information Mm -hmm. because definitely our mystery man and Alfred had her number in that book that they were using probably to cipher things. Right. So I think that there was probably some sort of spy activity going on, um, which would explain why she was like not going to own up to it because if they're spies, that seems very counterintuitive. Right. Especially if they were like spies, but not for the allies. Mm-hmm. Like if they were spying for Nazis. Yeah. But also, like, looking at his picture, he looks kind of Russian, so... Mm, I mean, and like we mentioned, this was, like, his death happened kind of at the, like, onslaught of the Cold War, so... They were like, gotta kill the Rusky. It's possible. Gotta kill the Rusky. What if he just died of, like, heat heat stroke, like... (laughs) He He really was just drunk, and then this whole thing has just been, like... This chaotic fucking mystery for no reason. (laughs) Or he was just, like, running on the beach, and then he, like, passed out and, like, started to Mm -hmm. die. And then they just were like, you know what? It Like, some drunk guys came by and they're like, all right, mate, we're gonna dress you up and put him (laughs) in a suit and just, like, left him there to die. Oh, God. I could see that, too. I don't know why Australia, to me, is just, like, if you think about all the continents as states of America, Australia is the Florida of the world. And I I mean that in a great way, because beautiful beaches, there's some, like, great things to go visit, but also you're just like, what the fuck are you doing? I think it's, like, Florida and Alabama. Like, if Florida, Alabama, and Texas Mm. had a baby, and then it was, like, that's Australia. Yeah. Yep. Because they got, like, the cowboying, they got the crazy shit going on, all the animals that want to kill you, and then they also have, Mm -hmm. like, you know, just some, there's some redneck shit going on. Yep. I do want to go to Australia. I feel like a real sense of camaraderie with the continent of Australia because as an American, I feel like we us in Australia are just, like, doing stupid shit constantly. I feel like we're the rejects of the rest of the world and everyone's just like, yeah, yeah go to America, get out of here. Like, So... The moon. The moon, usually secrets or illusion. This is, I think, the full moon. I think the full moon is going to bring some energy in here. You're going to have a new partnership, maybe a new relationship with the lovers upright. Like, there's some good, good things happening here. You're going to have, it doesn't have to be, like, romantic. It can be, you know, maybe you're going to get a new coworker who you just really mesh with and you're going to be really productive. You're moving into a period of productivity and, like, Anything that's happened before the full moon is going to be kind of into a series of 
restoration and like forgiveness because we got the five of swords reversed here so that's like you're you kind of process what's happening and you're ready to move on into the new you so that's that's our tarot reading for the week good i feel like they've been overwhelmingly positive the last few times which makes me a little bit less anxious well shall we do our fuck yeahs and fuck yous yes i have one Okay, I'm going to keep it very concise. My fuck yeah for the week. I went to Target last weekend. Weekend before? Last weekend? I don't remember. But in the clearance, there was one of these left. And this is a sweater that I had been eyeballing like weeks prior. And they didn't have it in my size. And then I went back and they had it in a 2X. But I was like, that looks like the perfect, delightful, oversized sweater. And guys... I'm wearing it right now, and it's a purple tie-dye. It's a Fleetwood Mac sweater, and I fucking love it. And that is my fuck yeah. That I got a hell of a deal. Okay, mm-hmm. so, fuck yeah. Um, I'll say fuck yeah to, uh, we got our lunch paid for today. We went to a okay. nice, a nice steakhouse establishment, and... I was with one, two of my coworkers, and then their aunt and uncle, who were very nice and lovely people, and then our CEO, our VP of HR, and then a COO walked in, and they're like, oh, hey, ha, ha, and we're like, hey, and then we were getting ready to leave and getting ready to pay, and the guy was just like, oh, yeah, they paid for you already, so we're like, okay. Hell yeah, bitch. And we said thank you and dip, dipped out, because we're like, we're not going to. Yeah. We need to get back to work if the CEO's here. That's a great fuck, yeah. Free Mm -hmm. food is always a good fuck, yeah. Free, like, And then my fuck you is simply just... Yeah, well, yeah, especially if it's an expensive meal, because... We trying to save our coins, guys. Mm -hmm. Money, money. But yeah, my fuck you is simply just uh, Sonic half-off corn dogs. Uh, My fuck you is... I don't know. I'm just generally stressed, so, you mm. know, busy work. Fuck you to the stress. I'm just mad at the universe right now, but it's okay, because it's going to get better, baby. The tarot card said so. Mm-hmm. It is written. My earbud is just fell into my lap. And so Doja on that Cat. note. Fuck yeah to Doja Cat, because oh, she's really cute. The Taco Bell, oh my god, the Crunchwrap Supreme, or not the Crunchwrap Supreme, the Mexican pizza song on TikTok is like all that's running through my head recently. So <laughs> thank you, Doja Cat, for that. That's wonderful. And it's truly all that we needed. She's just so cute. Like, she's just. She's adorable. She's like adorable. True that. That's a good positive note to end it on is our doji cat being cute so <laughs> we'll end it here um thanks for listening again you guys uh you can follow us on social media mostly instagram i say this every week because that's where we really post most often sometimes you'll catch us on tiktok not super often so follow us on instagram so you'll know when we post because it's a little bit infrequent the schedule's not great um is that my fault yeah probably a little bit because i you know. i also contributed too though because i yeah could not get it to upload for a bit, so. That's fine. It's a joint effort Like, we're, we be, we're beholden to no sponsor, no man, no company. We can do what we want, you guys. And we're just here to give you free content that you'll occasionally get every other week. So, 
rewind. Follow us on Instagram. Moral of the story. Thank you for listening. Um, and we will see you the next time that we see you.